Say good evening to you on this Saturday night of the missionary weekend. We're going to begin by singing another great missionary hymn, Far, Far Away in Heathen Darkness Dwelling. Millions of souls forever may be lost. Who, who will go? Salvation storytelling, looking to Jesus, minding not the cost. That's a good singing in the opening hymn. <coughs> Thank you. 
told you last night about the little girl that is featured on the slides and in the literature. Her name's Sonia, and she's a little Roman child who was originally from Moldovanoa, but has moved to a little village that is in the great county of Bazo in Romania. And there's 130,000 people live in that county. And there's only five evangelical churches and maybe a few other uh, faithful witnesses. The pastor that I spoke to when we were there told me that there's just several hundred Christians all together out of that great population. So it's a, it's a great place to spread the gospel in. And we've had the opportunity to do that. And in the will of God, we will have in the future. Let's bow together, seek the Lord in prayer, call upon his name, come to this Saturday night. Saturday night meetings are not maybe always the, the best attended meetings, but sometimes they are uh, favored of God and the Lord comes and he speaks to our hearts. And that, that's what we want tonight. We want the Lord to be here. And we want the Lord to draw near to every individual so that as we listen to the word, it becomes very powerful and personal in our own hearts, just as if we were the only person here. God is speaking to me. You pray to that end, <coughs> that the Lord will speak to you personally. Let's seek the Lord. Heavenly Father, we still our hearts before the presence of our God. As we come before the throne of heavenly grace, in the all-precious and the lovely name of our dear Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who loved us and gave himself for us, and the one who is now representing us in heaven, our mediator, our Savior, at the right hand of the Father, ever living to pray, to intercede on behalf of his church. We've often taken comfort in that reality, no matter where we are at any time, but especially when we come together as a body of people, that there's one in the glory and his eye is upon us in a very special way. He has called his church together. We are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is. And so when these meetings are organized to assemble, we know that we're in the will of God in regard to that. And the Savior comes. He abides with his people. He is central. We want him to be central to all that is happening this weekend. We would pray that cry of the Greeks. We would see Jesus over this weekend to get a glimpse of him, to get our eye firmly fixed upon him, the author and the finisher of our faith, and to hear a word from him as the Spirit of God applies it to our hearts is what we desire. We thank thee that the Lord has given the command and the great commission to go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. And it is with joy that we've sung this hymn tonight, reminding us of the great commission and what we're about this weekend as we seek to uh, remind ourselves of the command of Christ regarding the nations of the earth and how that men and women in sin need to be reached with the gospel. We think of those days of the resurrection when our Savior showed himself alive by many infallible proofs that he had truly been raised again to life physically. And we know that through that period of time, so often he met with his disciples. And it was to remind them of the great work 
that they had been called to, and the church in every century has been called to. As Christ was sent, so we have been sent. And he has commissioned his church to go into the world and to present him as he is freely offered in the gospel. We thank you that our small denomination has had a part in that over the years and since its inception it has always been a missionary minded church and we pray that that will keep that fervor burning in our hearts that we might always lift up our eyes and look in the fields that are white already to harvest and that thou will grant us Lord a vision for God in our day both for the home and for the foreign fields we thank you for last night Thank you for a real conscious sense of the presence of God, for every report that was given, for the preaching of your word, and especially for our brother Bill, who was able to be with us and to speak to us and give that very challenging testimony. We pray that you will continue to make it a blessing to those that, that were here and listened to it, and those that tuned in last night, and others that will undoubtedly listen to it in time to come. Stir our hearts, we pray. We know that as we seek to do these things by the grace of God, our labor is not in vain. And the Lord will be pleased to, to bless the labor of our hand and what we're endeavoring to do for him. We come to another night of reports and greetings that will be given from various missionaries. The choir will sing. And then we'll come to that part that's so important around your word. Lord, come down in a very mighty way. Speak to this congregation, speak to my heart. Remember your servant, Reverend Wagner, as he opens up the scriptures tonight, as he reads and preaches the word. It is the means of grace. And Lord, we seek thee in it that thou wilt counsel us, that thou wilt direct us, that thou wilt teach us by the power and ministry of the Holy Spirit of God. May changes be made tonight. We want to be the doer of the word, as well as the hearer. We don't want to come and just drink it all in and, and not give the kind of response that the Lord would expect. Oh, God, help us to be obedient to the word. We pray that you will apply it to every heart. And may a work be done for eternity in our hearts tonight, in this very meeting. Bless the weekend. Much prayer has gone up for this time. And we thank you for the blessing it's been over the years and for young people that have been called to the ministry and to the mission field and other hearts that have been stirred to go and do what they can in their local congregation. And so we look to the Lord tonight for his blessing upon this service. Remember those that can't be here. I was very conscious that when we organize these meetings, there are folks that are sick and laid aside and would love to be here, but circumstances beyond their control have called them away. Lord, minister to them just where they are too. We ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. We're not having any prolonged announcements at uh, this weekend, but there are a few things that need to be said. We first of all bid you welcome wherever you come from. Uh, welcome in the Saviour's precious name. Thank you for giving your time on a Saturday night to come and sit and listen to something that's very near, I'm sure, to all of our hearts. You wouldn't be here unless it was. You wouldn't come back on a Saturday night unless you were really interested in these things. And that is the missionary cause. 
We welcome the Lord's servant. We look forward to the preaching of the word tonight as uh, Dr. John Wagner comes to minister the word. Um, we trust that he feels very much at home with us. Supper will be served, and we don't want you to go away. The meeting will not be too late. We're half an hour earlier tonight. So come to the fellowship area and the church hall, first of all, to get the food and enjoy a time of fellowship, the one with the other. The offerings over this weekend go to the missionary causes that are represented during this weekend. It was a good offering last night, and we did also receive a very substantial gift, and we're thankful to the Lord for that. Do you remember tomorrow we will be gathering for our time of prayer at 8 o'clock, and the Sabbath school and the, the Bible class are, are back again. So remember our children and young people as they come. Usually on this weekend, we have an open Sunday school and one of the visiting um, missionaries will, will take that. That's not happening tomorrow, but we're still having an open Sunday school with a missionary thought. And I've agreed with Wesley to, to speak at that tomorrow. So looking forward to talking to the children in Sunday school tomorrow morning. At the noon service, we uh, will be listening to the Word of God again, preached by another gentleman for the United States of America. He was in last night. I didn't realize he was here until after the meeting, but the Reverend Reggie Kimbrough is the preacher tomorrow morning. Our choir will sing again, and there'll be some greetings this time from Romania. Various pastors and friends will do that, and Lucci has sent a little video with a, a missionary challenge as, as he sings that. In the evening time at 7 o'clock, we're going to dedicate the meeting to Ukraine. As you know, for seven months now, we have had Ukrainian visitors. The numbers grew until 41. Uh, at one stage, we were looking after 41, and it's now down to 39 because one of the ladies and her daughter have gone back uh, to Ukraine. Uh, to join her husband, who's a pastor there. Uh, they still keep in touch with us. But we look forward to that, and the pastor that's here, Pastor Valentin Pavlenkov, will give a report on Ukraine, and the Ukrainian church will sing. And Mr. Donald Fleming from Faith in Action will bring the missionary challenge at the end. So we look forward to that also. Pray much for these meetings, please, and plan to be with us. I think that's all by way of announcement that I need to make just now. We're going to have a video presentation and greetings from the mission field from various ones that have sent in greetings to us. So hopefully our technology will all come together tonight and the sign will be working. Today we bring you greetings in the name of our Saviour. During the past year, three of the six congregations associated with Glory Bible Church have grown sufficiently to be constituted. Yuporo in western Kenya, Shimulatewa just outside Katale, and Tantana in West Pakot. Pray for these congregations as they take the next steps to elect office bearers and to call ministers to serve in the congregations. We continue to be encouraged by the Let the Bible Speak radio ministry Pray for each of the pastors as they prepare the messages for the programs and pray for those who listen that they would be well instructed in the things of God. We would like to thank the board of LTBS for all of their help 
and support in making the radio ministry in Kenya possible. There are a number of young men in training with the Bible Institute program, which is run by the Mission Board, and pray that they will successfully complete their studies and be enabled to serve the Lord. We are thankful to the Mission Board and Revival Movement Association for the three shipments of books that have been received during this past year. We wish to sincerely thank the Mission Board for all of their help and support to the Lord's work in the land of Kenya and we continue to appreciate very much your prayerful and practical support in this new year. Thank you in the name of our Saviour. Our dear friends in the Lord, it is a great privilege for me to have been divinely connected with the FPC Mission Board and also to help in the fulfillment of the work of the Great Commission to go into the world and preach the gospel, which is our greatest assignment here on earth. Without your sacrifices, we will be having a divided attention between our own work and the work of the ministry. We want you to know that your prayers and support continues to be one of the greatest encouragements that we ever have in the mission work. We truly appreciate your worthy pieces of advices and the gifts of love which have been directed towards us and in the work. Especially we think of the bursary fund which has been directed to the needy children in the society and continues to be a great source of encouragement and blessing to them and also to us. And we can only say that it is the Lord's help that has been directed towards us. These things remind us of the Lord's promise that, Lo, I am with you all the way. From Glory Bible Church, Kenya, we want to say thank you as we pray that the Lord will continue to bless your labors. Thank you. Well, it's a real joy for me to bring greetings to this annual missionary weekend there in Hebrew. I always thought the Missionary Weekend was a great way to focus our hearts and minds on Christ and his Great Commission as we embarked upon another year in his service. It has often brought a word in season to my own soul, whether a word of challenge or rebuke. And I hope that this year we will all hear the Lord speaking to us again, saying, This is the way, walk ye in it. I pray that our hearts would also be stirred up to seek the Lord more, in his word and prayer, to serve the Lord better by his power and grace, and to surrender to the Lord's will and purpose in each of our lives. May these special meetings be a blessing and encouragement to all who take part, and to those who listen in the church or online, and may they bear much fruit for the Lord's glory. I've also had an opportunity by the mission board to further my training as a teacher and um, graduating this year in February. At the end of last year, I had an opportunity and I was happily married to my wife, Jason. Uh, thanks to everyone who supported us, who prayed for us, and especially the mission board for ensuring that there is a minister to conduct the long-awaited and planned wedding. We look forward to the coming of the Cascademies. This is a long answered prayer. We have waited for so long, but God uh, never delays. We are very grateful and we look forward to their coming. And pray for us that God will build his church as he promised, such that the gates of hell 
shall not prevail even in our land here in Uganda. God bless you. Greetings to all of you. I appreciate the chance to say hello tonight. I trust the Lord is blessing you at your missionary weekend. And I just want to thank you folks for your continued prayers for me uh, as a labor here in Liberia. Uh, your prayers over another year, uh, your support and your encouragement in the Lord. And I do um, ask you to continue to pray that the Lord will bless the work here in Liberia. Just a couple of specific prayer requests. Uh, this year is an election year in Liberia, so we'll be having presidential and some other elections towards the end of this year. And we would ask you to pray that the um, country will remain, remain peaceful and that the Lord would just overrule in the election of a new president, that uh, stability would remain uh, so that we can continue the Lord's work here. And also do continue to pray for the children's work and pray especially this year that the Lord would save souls that he would save some of the children who've been attending for a number of years now, and that he would continue to build up that work. I do trust that you will know the Lord's blessing on your time there together tonight. And I thank you again for your prayers and support in the Lord's name. Greetings from Nepal and wishing you all a happy and prosperous new year. Thank you for your continued prayer and financial support throughout the year of 2022. In the past month, I was able to hold a ladies' conference in the Chitwan district. Around 35 to 40 ladies came, some travelling over three hours to get there. The following day, we held a teacher training programme. We thought about 20 people would come. However, when Priscilla and I arrived at the church, there was 45 people waiting from the various churches in the area. It was a great encouragement to us. After five hours of classes, we held a children's meeting to put into practice what we had been teaching. It was a time of great enjoyment and blessing to see the eagerness of the people to learn more. The ladies testified to enjoying the conference and for me too I enjoyed um, being able to get out and to meet with them. I look forward to the next ladies conference and teacher training program knowing that God is my strength and power and he maketh my way perfect. Thank you again for your prayer for the work and the cause of Christ in Nepal. It is uh, hard to believe that the year 2022 has gone by so fast. In fact, we are already few days into the new year. And I would like to take this time to thank all of you who give to the work in India, that pray for us, that pray for my colleagues, and pray for the cause of Christ through the Great Commission. What I appreciate about Hebron is that by the grace of our Lord, you all understand that Christ came to this world with a mission. And that purpose, it must be proclaimed to the nations. Dear friends, there is still, after 2,000 years, a great darkness in my country. There are still places in my country where the gospel has never been preached. There are also people and places where the gospel has been preached, but there is no understanding or appreciation of it. So please pray for strength for us to go forward with the Lord's work. 
pray that we will be faithful proclaimers of the one treasure, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because that alone can save the mankind, not just temporarily, but eternally. God bless you. Thank you. Hi, everyone. We are thankful for this opportunity to greet you from Spain in our Saviour's blessed name. Narana and I are blessed with good health, so we try to keep active in the Lord's work as he gives opportunity. Narana still plays the organ and our son Joel plays the piano. Jonathan serves as one of the elders in the new work in Toledo. I still get the opportunity to preach both in Alcorcón and Toledo. The Lord has blessed us with another grandson, William, who was born on the 13th of August. That's now five. We close wishing you all God's richest blessing for the new year. And we thank you for your faithful prayers for us and the works here in Spain. Greetings in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ from Cortijos Nuevos and the south of Spain. As we enter another year, our prayer is that in our churches, in our families, and in our individual lives, that Christ will increase and that we will decrease. I want to thank all of you, and especially the Mission Board, for your continual support and prayers and also financially. It is much appreciated and we couldn't be here without you. This past year in our church here in Cortijos Nuevos, in Sierra de Segura, we have seen the hand of the Lord working in our midst and we praise Him for that. And there's nothing impossible for our Lord. Spirit is a hard soil for the gospel, but God is still working. And we saw that especially even in our Christmas special service where the Lord surprised us. and We had 10 visitors and most of them it was the first time to enter an evangelical church. So please pray that the Lord will save these souls. May you have a great missionary weekend where hearts are touched by the Lord. May the Lord bless you. Hasta luego. It's always encouraging to hear from our missionaries and uh, see those familiar faces that are far, far away. And uh, the Reverend Patterson and his wife are here tonight. And so we greet them, glad to have them physically in the building, and also to hear uh, the message of greeting this evening. Always good to hear from our own. Uh, Noring is one of our own, and she's been serving the Lord in Africa since 2000, uh, 17 years in Kenya, and then the latter five years in Uganda. <coughs> we called to Panker, one of our own. He's uh, Indian, but he's a member of the church here in Hebron and we encourage him in the Lord and it's just lovely to see uh, those that went out in the early days like Reverend Hannah went out from Balamone and then Alejandro more recently from the church here went out to serve God in the land of Spain. I want to thank those that responded and sent in the greetings very much appreciated. Now we have a report in Uganda and uh, Jordan is going to do that report He's looking forward to it intensely. Uh, 
Hello there. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Jordan, and I was part of the 2019 trip we took to Uganda. Um, we left Balmoni with a full 24 hours of travelling ahead of us, and by the time we got there, we were without a doubt a bunch of smelly people. Um, there was 19 of us uh, travelled out and came back with a lot of memories from that trip. Uh, one of these memories, which I find very interesting, was the sporting ability, ability that they had. They loved playing volleyball and were very good at it as well, so we quickly got stuck in and tried to learn from them. Another great memory was when we went to visit some of the locals in their houses. This was an eye-opening experience, as it was something I could never have even pictured before. The conditions of some of the houses are something a picture can't capture. This made me extremely grateful for the things I had and the home that I was going back home to. Um, another memory that really stood out to me uh, was how attentive and happy the children were to have you there. With 362 children in that school, they were very well behaved and enjoyed all the activities we'd done with them. But most importantly, once it came to meeting time, they sat up, were quiet, uh, listened to the stories and speakers and got stuck into different quizzes and courses as well. Um, one of the most God-blessed experiences on this trip that the, I think the whole group could agree on um, was the little boys and girls right up to the teachers after we left coming to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. This was a truly amazing experience to witness with many coming to give their life over to him. Um, this trip was truly eye-opening for me as it was easy not to think about the missionaries and people in Uganda and the work they do there before I went on the trip, but after we came home, um, we met, the people we met over those 10 days were stuck at the forefront of my mind. It showed how blessed we are over here to have access to lots of different things that we just take for granted. Um, another thing that made me aware of was the work that our missionaries do over there. The work that Noreen and the staff do, were doing at that time in the school was invaluable. It was great to see how dedicated she was to God by serving in that school. Hopefully one day um, I would love to return to Uganda to help with the work there, catch up with some of the friends I made at the time there as well. I would encourage any young person with the chance to go on a mission trip to grab it with both hands as it is something that can help grow you on your walk with God and it's something you will never forget. Lastly, I know the school and all our missionaries would appreciate your prayers, so please continue to do so. Thank you. Thank you very much, Jordan. Um, we're thinking about his dad, of course. Wesley, one of our elders, is in hospital uh, down in Dundonald, and we're praying much for him and his recovery, that the Lord will step in and, and rectify whatever the, the problems are. We're going to sing together. 512. <clears throat> Give me the faith which can remove and sink the mountain to a plain. Give me the childlike praying love which longs to build thy house again. And we'll stand to sing. <laughs>
good to see the video last night. The Reverend Kershkaden's with us this evening, and he's going to come now and talk to us, give a wee report. And thank you, brother, for coming back so far again to be with us this evening at the Missionary Weekend. And as soon as he speaks, we'll ask our choir to come and minister in song. Thank you. I'm very thankful for another opportunity to be here with you uh, this evening. Uh, I was very much blessed by our meeting together last night. Uh, it was tremendous for Dr. Bill Woods to be here. And as I come here tonight, he gave her a word of testimony of uh, how the Lord has used him. And I'm here tonight to give a testimony as well of the Lord's leading in my life. And I ask myself, how can I follow up after such a man? And the simple answer, I can't. But I stand here tonight at the same time and can say I serve the same God. I'm responding to the same calling that our brother has known in his life. And that is just one spin a few moments, uh, just maybe extending upon some of the things that was said in uh, the video last night in terms of the Lord's leading in our life to go and serve in the Lord of Uganda. I want to begin just by reading a couple of verses to you from Exodus chapter 3. And it's Exodus chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. We read there, Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me. And I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppress them. Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And we trust that the Lord will bless even this short reading of his precious word. Now it was mentioned in the video last night that my burden for the land of Uganda goes back quite some time. In fact, it goes back to before there was a free Presbyterian work in the land. I, I try and do the maths. It was sometime in uh, 2013 or before that because it was at that time that the Lord led me to study in the Whitfield College of the Bible. And the Lord impressed upon my heart to pray that he would open the door of service for the free Presbyterian church in that land. Now, I've said that on deputation and uh, someone came to me after the meeting and asked me, well, well what made you pray for that land? What was it? Was, was there because there somebody in that land that you knew was serving? Have you some history with that land? And the simple answer to that question was none of those things. I suppose we would say in a, in a human sense, it was, it was very strange and it was very random. But you see, it wasn't. It was a burden given of the Lord. And the Lord burdened me to pray, and so... I did. And the just simple application to you even on that is if the Lord burdens you to pray for something, dear believer, here this evening, make sure you do it. Now, we may not understand why you're burdened. You may not understand uh, why you're burdened to pray maybe for a certain person at a certain time. But remember, it is of the Lord. Get on your knees and pray. Now, I did pray about this. And the Lord answered prayer. Again, another simple lesson for us as even our brother brought out last night. The Lord answers prayer. Sometimes he answers quickly and sometimes the answer uh, maybe can be uh, slower in coming but God does answer prayer. And the Lord did answer that prayer. I remember it was in my first year of Bible college. Now there's much about Bible college I have forgotten uh, but there's one, some things I have and then this is one of them. I remember that day sitting in Bible college and uh, there at the, uh, the old college at Lawrencetown and the time was in first year our brother here behind me, Reverend Park, was a lecturer in the college at that time. I trust he will not take much offense by my saying this, but there's much 
about what he taught me in that class that maybe I have forgotten. I remember the day that he came into the classroom. He came in with an extra spring in his step, with a smile on his face. And before very long, he was telling us that it appeared that there seemed to be a door opening uh, for the mission board in the land of Uganda. Now, uh, it was given to us all as a class. I'm sure maybe uh, it was exciting for all, but it had a special impact on me. I have to say, I nearly fell in my seat to think that the Lord had heard my prayer. Of course, we believe God hears and answers prayer. We have faith in God answering your prayer. But I suppose there must have been in me a doubt, because here when God answered, I was, I was shocked. The Lord had heard my prayer. He's beginning to open that door in that land, a place, a land that I knew nothing of, a, a place that our church had no involvement into that stage. Oh, the Lord had heard my prayer. But then you see, when you pray for things like this, when you pray for the Lord to open a door somewhere, the next thing you have to very much ask yourself, well, is the Lord wanting me to go through that door? Oh, remember that great prayer that, uh, that the Lord put upon his people to, uh, to pray that the Lord would send laborers into his harvest. In the verses that follow, we see that it was then those people that he called to pray that he sent out. And so this is what the Lord began to impress upon me. Well, you prayed for an opening. Are you the one who will go through that door? And in the months to come, I gave it much prayer. As I say, I was only a first year in college at this time. You have a, you have a long way to go if you're going to get through it at all. But I made this very much the subject of prayer. Kept it to myself, didn't really share it with anyone. And then the Lord did answer the prayer. But he answered that prayer in sounding others and not me. Now I was delighted again. The Lord had heard my prayers. Yet at this same time, as I maybe used the word in my deputation video, there was a jealousy. That that door was not opening for me. I maybe, I wanted to be the one to go. This was the land the Lord had burdened me for. But the Lord decided in his perfect will that it was not for me at that time. I went through my time in college. I finished my studies. And approaching the end of my time in college, it was very clear to me that the Lord was opening a different door at that moment in time. The Lord, and I say this sincerely, the Lord, I know to this very moment that the Lord called me to serve there in County Monaghan in our church in Corrigari. And for the last five years and, and over now, it has been a blessed time serving the Lord there. But the Lord began to speak again. The hour began to challenge again. It uh, became aware as uh, some of the servants who were out in the field had returned home. Uh, it was brought to my attention that there was, there was vacancy. There was a need again for a man to go. It was relayed to us at the week of prayer, that had been 2019, that the mission board were sounding men at a, a few weeks at a time to go out and to cover the pulpit. I was eager to go, but I said, Lord, if you want me to go, even just for a few weeks, that you will, be, you will direct uh, some of those men to me to ask me if I would go. I wasn't going to push open the door that the Lord wasn't going to open. I very much left this with the Lord, but then uh, uh, sometime later, just into the new year, I had to ring Reverend McMillan. Reverend McMillan is the, is the chairman of the Uganda Oversight Subcommittee. I rang Reverend McMillan to uh, discuss another matter, family member sick in the Armour area, and I was asking her brother to, uh, to visit, her, visit her. This was a Sunday afternoon. And then Uganda came up, and just in the process of conversation, if you, if you speak to Reverend McMillan, you know it, it will come up in conversation at some point. But it did come up in conversation, and even me, and then it did come up in conversation about me going out to spend a few weeks there and, and just to help out. 
But then what Reverend McMillan said uh, to me next, it, again, like that experience back there in the Whitfield, this, this moment in my life stands out and I remember. Now, I don't know the exact words that our brother used. Well, he said, and, and so, and to really to the fact, have I ever considered going and serving full-time on the mission field? That struck me very hard. Reverend McMillan didn't uh, know all about my burden. I hadn't shared it with, the, with anyone in any real detail at all at this point, but the Lord knew. And the Lord, I believe, not Reverend McMillan, was asking that question of me again. Well, my heart was, uh, it was pricked as if with a sword that Sunday afternoon. The Lord speaking to me that day, it didn't finish at that phone call. When I, see, when I hung up that phone, I had to turn my mind then to my evening service and consider what the Lord had already laid upon my heart to preach that evening in Currigari. And that really brings us to that couple of verses that I read to you this evening. Now, uh, at the time, and indeed still at this stage, uh, we were working our way through the book of Exodus in Currigari. We have been at it for quite some time, and as one of them said to me, you'll be leaving Currigari, and uh, the, village, the people will still very much be in the wilderness. Now, that is very much looking like the case. But in that message that I had prepared, I was, as you can see, this portion, as we well know, it is Moses at the burning bush. I don't know if our two brothers behind me or anything like me, but there's sometimes we can get up to preach and we can wonder, who is this message for? Who is he going to use the Lord going to speak to? How is he going to speak to them through this word? But you see, as I began to make preparations to consider what I was preaching that night, it struck me before I even got into the pulpit. I knew exactly who the message was for that evening and it was for me. We want our, the message to have an impact on others. Sometimes it maybe doesn't have the right impact on us who are delivering it. But you see, as I could help to preach that message, it was, it was probably one of the hardest messages I've ever had to preach because every word, every line, it was the Lord was speaking to me, challenging me. You see, here in this portion of Scripture, of course, we have Moses at the burning bush. Now, if you know the whole account of Moses in Egypt, you will know that in the book of Acts, in Acts 7.25, we, we see there that Moses, while in Egypt, that he had some understanding of the Lord's calling in his life. He knew to some degree that he was to be a deliverer of the people. This was God's will for him. But yet, of course, we know he had to spend the next 40 years in the wilderness. But after those 40 years, here the Lord is again calling him to go and do that thing which he had once felt that a burden to do. To go and to serve, to deliver the people from the land of Egypt. But what a parallel I felt it was for me. And the first burden to me to go uh, or to, uh, about the land and then even to go maybe to the land all those years ago when I was the Lord again opening that door. And those words in verse 10, I could not get away from them. They, they really were the, the chief a consideration that night. In verse 10, we read, Come now, therefore, and I will send thee. Come now, therefore. Now is the time. And now was I going to be going out of my own strength. But he says, Come now, therefore, and I will send thee. Well, the Lord's call, it came fast. It came with power. You know, you take a call to a church as a minister, it's, it's probably wise that you've been there and you've preached there. There's very few men would take a call without ever being first in a land. But you see, before even going to Uganda, I've been now twice, two short trips to the land, but before I even put foot on that land, in that country, to Emmanuel, to the compound, to the church, to the children, I'd have to say I knew in my heart already that the Lord 
The Lord was calling, and I must go. We went for those two short trips. The Lord truly blessed us. The Lord didn't need to confirm, but he did confirm that was his will for me and my family. The Lord made us wait, but his will is perfect. To see all the steps that the Lord has led through my life and the different avenues and the different avenues of training and, and so forth, it's amazing to see how the Lord has led to this point. The Lord has. And with gladness we go. And it close really with the words, words we know well in Mark 16, verse 50. Just go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now those are words every one of us here know. These are words which are important to us. You, you wouldn't be gathered here at like a meeting like this tonight if they weren't. They're very, but we have to be considered as a very, as a very general uh, call to the church. Every time I read those words, I can't get away from that opening word. I can't get past the opening word. I'm reading the whole verse. That one word, go. The Lord has called me to go. That is what we will do in obedience to the Lord. Oh, I'm no great Christian. I'm no mighty man, even like I say, like our brother Dr. Bill was. I'm just one who has been blessed to be called into the service of God. What a privilege it is. And with him at my side, we go. And therefore, in these months ahead, as we and my family, as we do prayer to go, prepare to go, I ask you, please do continue praying for us. Maybe you tonight, as you're gathered here, maybe you're here last night and you're coming back again, and maybe the Lord has been challenging you. May you go. May you go, as that verse would say, come now, therefore, and I will send thee. Oh, we're not going by our own strength. Oh, yes, the church, our mission board, our presbytery is sending us out. But above all, it is the Lord who is sending us. And it is in his name we go. Thank you very much for this time. Thank our brother for giving me this opportunity. And we trust it will be a blessing and encouragement to each one of your hearts. Thank you. Only 
Thank you to the choir for ministering in song tonight. Really appreciate that. And for leading us to that day when we're going to stand before the Lord. And we know that our work is going to be done. Some of these days it'll be over. And we shall go to meet him. May we live with eternity's values in view. And seek ever to please the Lord day by day. We're so glad to have Dr. John Wagner from the United States of America tonight. We welcome him in the Savior's name. I want to thank our brother Ray Kerskadden for his report. I'm sure the things that he referred to that he's forgotten is just a general conversation in the class. I, I've forgotten that too. How could you forget the subject of Christian doctrine and personal evangelism? I know that those things are still there and in, in your mind. I was sitting thinking, and it came because of a remark that this man made, that there are actually a number of languages in this church tonight. I suspect there's at least one person can speak Irish fluently. I know that there are those who can speak Swahili. And uh, I think that's Sasha there. He speaks Russian fluently. There may even be those that speak Portuguese. Certainly there were those last night. And some Spanish. I know some of you in the church here have learned Spanish. And Ray, you'll be starting to, to learn Luganda, <coughs> I'm sure. But then there is another language. And that is what we call Ulster Scots. And whenever Jordan get up to give his report, love your report, Jordan. Uh, Dr. Wagner said, I think he's talking another language there. <laughs> so you'll maybe think the same about him because he doesn't speak like us either. But you'll understand him. You'll be blessed through him. He was here at the missionary weekend in 2010. He was with us since uh, preaching in the uh, church hall at the prayer meeting. He's been over for the minister's week of prayer and he's been visiting some of our congregations Brother, we're glad to have you tonight. I know things were different, and since you, you last met with us, your wife was called to glory, and she's rejoicing in heaven, and one day we're going to be there too. But you pray for God's servant as he comes to minister the word. The problem with the Ulster Scots language, it changes from town to town. Good to be back in Balamani and the conference. Always glad to be able to preach the Lord's Word. We're turning to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. I'd like to thank Mr. Park for the invitation to come and to preach the Lord's Word. We're going to break in at verse 35, Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Let's hear the Lord's word. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes... He was moved with compassion on them 
because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. We know that God will bless the reading of his word for his own namesake. Let's bow our heads for a moment in prayer. Let's seek the Lord together. Our God and our Father in heaven, it is in that all-prevailing name of Jesus Christ that we pray before we begin to preach thy word. We cannot do without the Holy Spirit's endowment. It will just be a sermon, but it won't be a message from thy heart to ours. We pray that thou wilt corral the wandering thoughts, that thou wilt take the tiredness from the mind and body. In one sense, we pray that we will lose sense of time, because thou hast drawn near to us, very near. We would want to know thee speaking quite personally to our own souls, to our hearts. We need, Lord, this night to have that work done in us that only thy Spirit can do that will send us forth from the house of God with changed hearts and thinking. We don't want to become mere conglomerations of truth that we store away in our memory, but then forget about what the truth calls us to be and to do. Grant, Lord, there will be an individualizing aspect of the preaching. We will sense that God has come to each one of us and is speaking very pointedly, very personally, very powerfully, and with the Word that will change our thinking, that our behavior might change. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. As your minister said, I was back here in your missionary weekend in January of 2010. I spoke that evening on verse in this section that we read, verses, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. And from that text, I dealt with the need for laborers, the harvest is plenteous, and the laborers are few, and also the primary way in which those laborers would, would arise. Pray ye, therefore, the Lord of the harvest would send forth, or literally thrust forth, laborers into his harvest. This evening, I want to back up in this passage and deal with another vital issue as it relates to missions and to missionaries, whether it's the missionary who, like our brother, is going to a foreign field, the missionary who works with home missions, or just the Christians who simply want to be used to bring lost sinners to Christ, whether that be at work, uh, whether that be in the neighborhood, or the family members within their own homes. We find this in this passage, the Lord Jesus making use once again of the agricultural world and so much of 
Ulster is agricultural. Can't help but ride around and not see that. It was also familiar to our Lord Jesus Christ. They always surrounded him. He was somewhere along those lines, and it has so much to do with missions and evangelism. He speaks of the lost like flocks of sheep without a shepherd. He likens them to a field full of wheat that needs to be harvested. Again, the farming language comes to the fore. The Apostle Paul uses the same tack when in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he speaks of the seed of the gospel. He actually calls the church, ye are God's husbandry. That word husbandry really means a cultivated field. Again, it's farming language. And he talks about that seed. You know, I sowed, Apollos, another preacher, watered, but God was the one who gave the increase. He brought about the harvest. My point just now is that in order for there to be any harvest, there had to be ground that was cultivated, a field that was prepared in order to make way for the sowing of the seed. All of that, of course, requires people. Paul's comments on this fact in Romans 10 is quite clear. There's no way that a sinner can ever be saved apart from faith in Christ. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And there cannot be faith without the hearing of the Word of God. For faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word. Then that searching question arises from all that. How can the lost hear without a preacher? without a missionary, without an evangelist of some sort. After declaring that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, the apostle then uses inexorable logic in asking that series of questions. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? So this whole matter of seeing the lost brought to Christ, which is what Missionary Weekend is all about in Balamani, I believe it was started by Mr. Cairns many, many years ago, and to follow up to our week of prayer as ministers in Ulster. It's all about lost souls being saved. So to the desire to see the lost brought to Christ, It brings us to a very practical point. There must be a proclamation of the gospel message, or man cannot know it, they cannot believe it, and as a result cannot receive any saving benefit from it. And the question asked over 2,000 years ago is the question that God is still asking today and asking tonight. Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? So the need is still for people who are willing to work in God's harvest field. That doesn't mean you have to be a missionary in that strict sense of the term. 
or a minister or an elder or a deacon or a Sunday school teacher before you can be involved in evangelizing the lost. See, what I would view here tonight for all those who are saved here tonight, there is a church full of missionaries. You've got to see yourself like that. There's much that you can do in the harvest field without having to do any of those things that our missionaries and ministers do. There's all kinds of ways that you can have a hand. Doesn't have to be street preaching. Doesn't have to be passing out tracts. All kinds of support issues are needed in missions work. But there are two things which you cannot do without. Whether or not you are a missionary, minister, evangelist, Sunday school teacher, or just someone who wants to help bring the lost to Jesus Christ. It's those two things I want to consider tonight from verse 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. It is, I submit to you, absolutely impossible to carry on the work of evangelism in whatever area you're talking about, whatever position or place you may occupy in that work apart from these two elements. That is what I want to speak to you for a few moments tonight about. Two essential characteristics of every effective missionary. Two essential characteristics of every effective, that's the key word, effective missionary. First, every missionary, and that term encompasses obviously everybody here tonight, every missionary must be marked by first compassion for the lost. Must be. Can't do without it. Matthew was moved by the Spirit of God to record something he saw about Christ as he went about the cities and the villages to preach the gospel and to heal the sick. Picture the scene in your mind's eye tonight. Here are literally thousands and thousands of people making their way to get to Jesus Christ. Some of them have a sickness themselves that is in desperate need of the Lord's healing touch. Some of the people are bringing their sick wives, their husbands, their sick sons, their sick daughters. Some come limping. Some being carried on a stretcher. Some are blind. Some are leprous. Some have an issue of blood that can't stop the bleeding. What a sight it must have been to see these crowds throng the Lord to cry for Him to heal them, to reach out just to touch Him. They're in a bad way. It is then that Matthew records those words, but when he saw the multitudes, 
he was moved with compassion on them. One of the reasons that Jesus Christ was so effective in evangelism was because of his compassion. Notice first that he had a great compassion. That phrase, he was moved with compassion, is comprised of only one word in the original text. And it is a word that is unique to the New Testament writers. By that I mean you won't find it in classical Greek literature or even in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. No, it was a word by the, given by the Holy Spirit to the writers of the New Testament Scriptures. While it was a unique word as far as the Greek language is concerned, the idea behind it had been around for thousands of years. You could find the idea in the Old Testament language. The word that Matthew uses means literally, his bowels were moved. His bowels were moved. That same idea occurs quite often in the Old Testament, and the scene that makes the point so clearly is found in 1 Kings chapter 3. You recall Solomon is the king, and there are these two women who come before him. They have a dead baby in their hands, and one is accusing the other of rolling over on it and killing it. They're both claiming, no, she did it, no, she did it. Solomon says, I'll solve this. Bring me a sword. I'll just cut it in half and you'll each have half. Well, you know what happened. The real mother, what did she say? Listen, then spake the woman whose the living child was unto the king, for her bowels yearned upon her son. And she said, Oh, my Lord, give her the living child, and no wise slay it. She had compassion on her little baby. Her bowels moved. You see, the ancients believed that the bowels were the seat of love. We talk about the heart. They would talk about the bowels. The seat of love and pity and tender feelings of sympathy came deep within. So Matthew, when he saw the response of Christ, he wrote he was moved with compassion. His bowels were moved. Now that means, does it not, that Matthew saw something, something took place in Christ, something that started deep inside of his soul and worked its way out so that Matthew could note it. In other words, Matthew is watching Christ look upon these mass multitudes with all their diseases and all their sin, his face began to change. I have no doubt in my mind that tears began to roll down his face. He was moved with compassion. What I'm saying is that the compassion of Christ moved him emotionally. It touched the depths of his feelings. It moved him to weep over the multitudes that he saw before him. There came a leper one day. He was in the latent stages of leprosy. 
It had eaten him up. It was a brave thing that he did because he was unclean and was supposed to, according to law, cry out, unclean, unclean, unclean. But in that state, he came to Christ, unclean, unwanted, unwanted, doomed to die that awful death. He came one day and he kneeled at Jesus' feet and said, if thou wilt, if you're willing, if you're willing, thou canst make me clean. I don't doubt your power. You can heal me. I just don't know if you're willing. Listen, and Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. He didn't want that man to think for one moment that he wasn't willing to heal him. He saw him moved with compassion. The widow of Nan, there's a funeral procession coming out of the city of Nan. There's a stretcher, a coffin, so to speak, a beard. Her son, her only son, is upon it. And he sees it. And she's just like you would understand. She's no husband. This was her only child, and he's dead. And she's just crying her eyes out. Luke tells us that when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. And said unto her, Weep not. And he raised her boy to life. There were two blind beggars who were sitting down the long side of the road one day, and they heard that Christ was passing by. They began to shout, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy upon us. He stopped. In fact, Mark says, And Jesus stood still. It's a great text. Bring them here. What do you want me to do for you, Lord, that we might receive our sight? Luke says, then Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. You keep reading that. He had compassion. He had compassion. He had compassion. The Lord was a man of deep pity. He could not look at these people coldly. Never got tired of looking at them. When he saw them, deep, deep feelings were stirred in his own soul, feelings that often moved the Lord to tears and to work miracles. He deeply felt the pain of the multitude's he was able to sympathize with them because he was the God-man. He came to identify himself with men. That he might be a, a high priest who could be touched with the feeling of their infirmities. And if we're going to be used in the Lord's harvest field, then we must learn Christ in this way 
we must see that we need his pity for the lost, that we need to weep as Christ wept over the multitudes. That kind of compassion we need. But don't miss the point that Christ's compassion did not stop with mere feelings. It always moved him to do something about what was causing their misery. What good is compassion if all it does is simply feel pity or sympathy for the one who is suffering but never takes one step to alleviate that suffering? What good is that kind of compassion if it never takes one step to alleviate the suffering? It's empty. It's not real compassion. The father of the prodigal son, you all know well, Luke tells us he had compassion on him when he saw his boy returning. He had compassion on him. Can you imagine what that boy looked like? He hadn't eaten for who knows how long. They wouldn't even give him the swine intended for the, 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 the food intended for the swine. He was filthy, his clothes were ragged, he was dirty, he was stinking. But his dad saw him, and he had compassion on him. And Luke says, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. That compassion brought about action. You see why I say we're all missionaries sitting here tonight? And what we need, if we're going to be effective in anything we desire to do for the Lord in that line of work and God's work, is compassion. We won't do anything. We won't be effective. We might do a whole lot of things, but it won't be effective without it. That's the kind of compassion I would make a plea for this evening. Not only will not be moved to feel pity for those who are sin-sick, ruined by depravity, wickedness. Lives are ruined. Whether it's drugs, immorality, alcohol, it doesn't make any difference. They're miserable, you know. They're so unhappy. And all they have at this juncture is an eternity in hell awaiting them. What will, what will you do for the multitudes this year, this month, this week? Secondly, every missionary must have a vision for the lost. You must have a vision for the lost. Where did this deep pity come from? Where did this compassion in Christ arise from? Matthew tells us that Christ was moved with compassion when he saw the multitudes. He had a vision before him. He saw the multitudes. I really can't stress enough the importance of this this point right here. Compassion has everything to do with having eyes. I'll talk about that in a moment. Having eyes to see the multitudes as they really are. 
You and I see dozens, if not hundreds, of people every week. Most of us. Multiply that times 52 weeks a year. Yet how many times have we been moved with compassion while looking at them? It's obvious there was something in the way that Christ looked upon the people that moved him to this pity and preached the gospel to them, to heal them. The word translated saw, when he saw the multitudes, it carries a, a different meaning than the common word in the Greek for physically seeing with the eyes. The word has this added idea of seeing so as to perceive, seeing so as to understand. If I can maybe use this verse in John 20 to give you a window to shine light upon the point. Remember the, the, the apostles were hiding behind closed doors for fear of the Jews? And Jesus, all of a sudden, stands in their midst and says, Peace be unto you. And they're scared to death, thinking it's a ghost. And he says, Give me meat, and I'll eat, and I'll show you. It's really me. I'm not, I'm not a ghost. It's me here. And after that, John writes, Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. It wasn't that word, physical eyes. They understood it's him. That's the word that Matthew is using to describe Christ when he saw the multitudes. It had an effect upon his thinking. He just didn't see them physically. It affected him by what he saw. He understood where they were. He understood what they were going through. He understood what they were feeling. He considered their plight. He didn't just see the leprosy or the lameness or the blindness or the issue of blood. He just didn't see their faces and what garments they had on. He really saw them. He really saw them. Christ saw them where they really were. He saw their misery. He saw their real needs. I know that the only way we'll ever have such compassion upon the people that are around us all the time. Your neighbor, perhaps, you've never spoken once to about the Lord. That co-worker, oh, they know you're a Christian, all right. Make that very clear, but you've never looked for that opportunity to give them the gospel and tell them Whether they're a stranger, the only way you'll ever have compassion upon them is by stopping and taking a real hard look, a close look at them. I think much of our problem, and I say our because it's much as my problem as anybody else's, I'm not here preaching at you. I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to you. I think so often our problem is that we don't take the time to stop and really look 
at the multitudes, at the sinner, at the lost neighbor, at the lost co-worker, at that lost grocer in the store. Such a look will lead us to understand their condition. A look that will get us beyond the surface to see something at least into the depths of their hearts. I, 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 I just can't... If Sometimes, you know, we, we have these prejudgments of people. And they seem to be rough around the edges, maybe downright coarse. But if you only knew what was going on in their hearts, if you only knew what was going on in their homes, you might not be so critical, so ready to write them off. You just might think differently about them if you took the time to look at them. If you took that interest in them, The problem is we often don't look. We often don't look people in the eye. It's a glance. But really look them. We go about our day, our work, about filling our own little agenda. We never take time to look upon them, at least in some way, as Christ looked upon them. You see, we... And this covers so many areas. We, we all profess, and, I, and I'm, I'm not saying it's an empty profession. I don't believe that. But we say we want to be like Jesus. Do we want to be like Jesus in this? That's how he looked upon them. This is why missionaries are effective. More specifically... The Christian who labors in the harvest field for God must, in the first place, have a vision, if you want to have this vision, it must have a vision of the greatness of the harvest. The harvest truly is plenteous. He saw that. That's what he thought about when he looked at the multitudes that were all scattered and no shepherd. It's a great harvest. I need to point out that the day in which Christ came on the scene was a very dark day, spiritually speaking. It is Matthew who quotes Isaiah's prophecy in describing the times. In chapter 4 of his prophecy, he describes the people as sitting in darkness and sitting in the region of the shadow of death. It was a day of darkness, a day of deep religious apostasy, just like our day. The religious leaders were corrupt. I mean, you know, you have the religious leaders of our day, whether it's in your country or mine, they're all for promoting transgenderism, sodomites in the pulpit, lesbians as priests. Don't become accustomed to it. It is vile filth. It is wickedness. And that's the day we're living in. The Word of God in Christ's day had been replaced with pharisaical traditions. People weren't getting the Word. 
They were getting what the Pharisees said the word was, but they weren't getting the word. And there was just a small remnant of true believers. Demon possession flourished. And yet it was just such a time in human history that the Lord Jesus Christ said, the harvest truly is plenteous. Isn't that amazing? Just such a time. Right when you would think, the harvest can't be plenteous. Look at all the wickedness. No, Jesus said it was plenteous. It was a great harvest. And Satan has done a number on us to convince us otherwise. I glean a very simple yet important truth from that lesson. It doesn't matter how dark the day, it doesn't matter how corrupt religion may be in the land, how evil men's hearts may be. There's a great harvest. Turn your thoughts for a moment to that much different city, a place called Corinth. Corinth. If you know anything about Corinth, it was one of the most notorious cities for wickedness, immorality. The priestesses of the temple to Diana, uh, prostitutes, temple prostitutes, had sandals that in the language of the day had follow me on them. And when they walked on the dirt, it would say, follow me, follow me. Uh, The sailors would come in and have their stomach full of their lust, they think satisfied. It was filthy. And yet I need to point out that God spoke to Paul one night in a vision not long after he had come to that wicked city and he said, be not afraid, I have much people in this city. There was a great harvest there. It doesn't matter where Belfast is morally, spiritually. It doesn't matter where Balamani is or Balamina or any major city. It doesn't matter. The fact is the Lord has a great harvest. But if you don't believe that, it really does dampen the desire to do anything about it. The harvest is plenteous. It is not, never has been, nor ever will be our place to figure out who the elect are. It's not our business. There are an elect. He has much people. They're his people in the city. He knows who they are, but he hasn't told us. He just says, take the gospel to all the world. And I'll use that to bring my people in. But there's a whole lot of them that need to be brought in. Plenty of opportunities for all kinds of laborers to do all kinds of things that will advance the the, the missionary efforts. Not just out in foreign lands, but in the town and in your neighborhood. Yes, in your family. in your own homes. You 
It's always when our vision gets restricted, when we begin to see the harvest field as so small and, and, and so confined that there's so few that we can reach with the gospel, it is then that we do so little. You see why now Jesus said, lift up your eyes into the fields and look into the harvest. You've got to see, not just with these eyes, look past the people and see, you know, the Lord has a great number of people. And perhaps that man, that woman, that teenager, that boy, that girl is one of them. And just perhaps, just perhaps, he'll move my heart. He'll give me that compassion that I will do something about it. There also must be a vision, not only of the, the greatness of the harvest, but of the worth of the harvest. The Lord compares these vast multitude of people with a harvest. If you know anything about farming, I do. Surprise? I was raised in a little town in Maryland. Maryland's on the East Coast, about middle way down. The little town I was raised in is about two hours, two and a half from Washington, D.C. You know all about Washington, D.C. I'm, I'm this little town. You might even call it a village here. It was called Hebron. We didn't call it Hebron. We called it Hebron. It was a farming community. About a thousand people. I worked the farms in the summertime when school wasn't in, out in the fields. Some were dairy farms, some were, we call them truck crops, you know, to be taken away. I know about farming, and I know one thing, it's all about the harvest. It's all about the harvest. All the work, the buying the seed, sowing it, cultivating it, watering it, it's harvesting. Why? That's what's so important. That's what's so valuable. The harvest. Christ not only therefore stresses the vastness of the harvest, but the great value of the harvest. What I want us all to see is that when Christ looks upon lost souls, he looks upon them as being very valuable, very precious. I know they don't look upon themselves like that. And I fear that all too often when we see them in their degradation and their sin, we could have the same problem of really just writing them off. Well, they'll never be saved. Jesus didn't think that way. Seven chapters later, Matthew records those well-known words of Christ, for what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? There's nothing more valuable, he says, than a man's soul. He only has one of them. He doesn't have multiple souls. He's got one soul. Yet men live as if they had thousands of souls. 
They think they can neglect their soul's needs and imagine that it's just going to be all right when it comes to the end. They treat their souls as a piece of trash that can be thrown away. They don't care for it. We're supposed to. I don't know if your minister ever told you about that scene in the life of George Whitfield. He often did this. He was preaching to multitudes. And he was a man who had eyes of tears. He often wept when he preached. Don't despise the weeping preacher. Whitfield would tell those multitudes, I am weeping for you because you will not weep for yourselves. The multitudes give no thought, no care, so we must. You know, folks, the, 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 Satan understands the value of a soul. He gets it. It's not a coincidence that the Lord in, speaks this parable of the sower and he talks about the fowls of the air coming away to snatch away the gospel seed. And that's the devil, he says. He knows how valuable they are. And he wants to damn them. It's amazing that the devil pays such close attention to souls. And we don't. But then when you go beyond just the devil's interest in souls to look at the interest of God in souls. How interesting. How interested is God in souls? He's interested enough in souls that he would enter into a covenant with his own son and give him up for the souls that they might be his forever. That's amazing interest. That is a real value of the soul when you'll give your only begotten sinless son to a Roman cross and you know what he's going to go through. You understand perfectly the suffering he's going to have and yet you say, they are precious to me and I will give up my son to the cross that I might win them to myself. He must view souls as very precious. But then Jesus Christ would willingly come and go through all of that to win our souls. I, for one, don't understand why he would come for me. I've often been struck with the testimony of Peter Orosuk. If you've never heard his testimony, it's on Sermon Audio. He was a heroin addict. For years. He started as a mule transporting it, but became a big dealer in Prince Edward Island in Canada. But there were the, the, the it was a brethren man actually in Canada who kept witnessing. He would go to be vomit in his bed, no food, he brought food for his family. He just kept witnessing to him and showing him God's love. And, and one time in his drunken stupor, why do you keep coming? Why do you keep coming? He says, I represent a giving God, and therefore I come giving. Finally, 
finally, the Lord saved Peter Orasuk. The night the Lord saved him, you know he prayed to God? Lord, you shouldn't have ought to have done it. You shouldn't have ought to have done it. I am not worth this. I sure am glad that God values your soul and mine with a different standard. That's how Christ viewed them. That's how we must view them. So valuable. This is what brings compassion. This is what makes us effective when we speak. You know, people pick that up if you're really interested in them. They pick it up. There's someone to show an interest, someone to care for them. But you won't have it if you don't have that vision. You know, Matt, it's, it, it's not, it's not, and I'm going to close. It's not without determination, but purpose that God put this in Matthew 9, the content. It, it's in this chapter that the Lord saved Matthew, the tax collector. You know that the tax collectors, these were Jews who were collecting for the Roman government, and they were like the scum of the earth to the Jews. They hated the publicans. And yet Jesus saved them, and then when, after being saved, he had a feast in his house, and there were, you know what was in there? Publicans and sinners, and that meant notorious sinners. It was then that Jesus said to the astonished Pharisees, they that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I've come for the sick people. It's in Matthew 9 that an unclean woman, the woman with the issue of blood, it wasn't a monthly cycle for her, it was every month, every month, every month, she kept bleeding and bleeding and bleeding and spent all of her money to try to find a doctor to heal her, and she rather grew worse, and she was absolutely bankrupt. She was unclean by Levitical law, but the Lord healed her. Matthew 9, you read about two blind beggars who cry for mercy. You find a dumb man who was demon-possessed. I don't personally ever want to meet someone demon-possessed. I've heard enough about those who have that I wouldn't want to come face-to-face -face with one. And then you have that little comment. Jesus went about all the cities and Villages, it's little villages, little teeny places, because to him souls were precious. We will never ever get serious, I will never ever get dead in earnest 
about evangelism and about missions until we see the souls of men are precious as Christ saw them. This is Missionary Weekend. Mr. Cairns raised it up as a means to see God stir others up to be missionaries on the field. It was a big thing in my country once upon a time. They brought in the well-known missionaries during their missions week, whatever it was, to pray that God would touch others in the gathering, sometimes hundreds, sometimes thousands, to send them to the mission field. That's died away to a large degree. I wonder if the number of men and women who offer themselves to reach the lost, whether that be on the field or in the neighborhood or at the workplace, I wonder if it would increase greatly if there was this vision and there was this compassion. How could it not but? How could it not increase be a growth in the missionary's heart, the endeavors to reach them. God give that sight of the lost, the value of their souls, that'll change us. Preaching is all about changing. It's what happens when the last amen is said that really matters. What do we do with it? So I can say that if you have felt the Lord speaking to you, it's not me, because I don't live with you, I don't know you, but it means that God has been talking to you, then man and woman, young person, you better sit up and take notice. Do not take that for granted. The Lord's talking to you. He's sending you out, wherever the out is, to be the one of his missionaries. Are you ready and willing to go? Mr. Bart. Well, the Lord was speaking. Last night, he's speaking tonight, and uh, you've sensed that. You've sensed it in your heart. Let's pray at the end, now, as we come to the amen, that there'll be a wee bit of honesty and response, that if God has spoken, that you'll respond to that and do what he requires. We bow in prayer. I'm going to sing the closing hymn and do what I forgot to do and lift the offering. The offering's part of what we're about this weekend, part of the way that we support missions. But God is looking for men and women. They are the instruments in his hand.
that he uses for his glory. And we need that compassion and that vision. May he give it to us. We're bowed before the Lord. We're in his house. There's no better place that we could be on a Saturday night than with the Lord and his people. Has the Lord spoken to you? Are you willing to say, Lord, here am I? Send me, use me. I'm ready to go. If you call me to the mission field, I'm ready to go. Want me to be a preacher, a pastor, a minister, I'm ready to go. If you want me to work right here in my family, community, I'm ready for it. Heavenly Father, take of your word, show us more of Christ, give us the compassion that he had, that we might be moved in our very depths, the very core of our being. When we see the multitudes, Lord, may we have that vision that's not just (coughs) seeing with the eyes in the physical sense, as the preacher said tonight, but seeing the real need, being stirred in the heart by what we see, and then ready to do what needs to be done by the grace of God. Seal your word in our hearts. Bring young people to that place of surrender. Older folks too. For Jesus' sake. Amen. I said last night we didn't ask you to raise a hand. We didn't ask you to stand up. didn't ask you to come forward. I have nothing against those things. But if God's doing a work in your heart, uh, you don't need to raise your hand or stand up or come to the front. You just need to say in your heart, Lord, here am I. Take me and use me. Present yourself. And of course we want to hear about that. We want to pray for you, whether you're from this church or not. And if you're from this church, we certainly want to direct you, nurture you, encourage you all that we can. I'm going to sing (coughs) the closing hymn, 526, reminding us we've only one life on this earth, and as vapor is passing away, I must labor for treasures of worth to the ends of the close of the day. We're going to remain seated and we're going to uh, receive the offering for God's work. Our men will get that done. Thank you. <coughs> Pardon me.
tonight there is supper for you. You can go out this door, that door, this one here. Go north to the church hall, get something to eat. The preacher will go to that door, and if you want to go and greet him, say goodnight to him, you can do that before you get your supper. If you want to speak to him, speak to myself, we're here. Come and give yourself to the Lord. Heavenly Father, continue to write your word upon our hearts. Help us to think about these things. May they not leave us so quickly. Don't let the devil take it away. But may the Spirit continue to apply it and use it for his glory. And may there be a drawing power tonight and over this weekend. Thank thee for past years when young people gave themselves to the Lord. Thank thee for the many from this congregation and other of our sister churches who gave themselves to the Lord at weekends like this. Lord, may it be multiplied over and over again. For the Lord needs workers and the laborers are few. And if Christ lamented the fact when he was on earth in the flesh that the laborers were few, how greater is that need today? Lord, raise them up. O Lord of the harvest, thrust them out into the harvest fields, we pray. Accept our thanks for the good things that have been prepared for us. Bless them to us. Sanctify our time together and our fellowship with each other. For Jesus' sake. Amen.